Welcome to Movieology, where we talk about movies and life and truth and philosophy and theology and stuff. Here are your hosts, Eric and Michael. Alright, welcome to the first episode of, of Movieology. My name's Eric, and I'll be one of your hosts, and my co-host here is Michael. Hi. I'll be your other host. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to talk about Life of Pi and uh, other things that are relevant to Life of Pi, which include the life, the universe, and everything. So that should be fun. This episode will be an hour or so if we can get Life, the Universe, and everything jammed in there. I think, I think it's doable. I do too. I think it's pretty possible. Yeah. Uh, the movie itself was only an hour and a half, so I think we can condense it. Yeah, although it was in three D, so it seemed longer. <laughs> so Eric and I differ in opinion on three D greatly. We differ greatly. I don't know why. Because oh, because Eric's old. That's right. Why. Right. That's the main. Because reason. I'm older, and because I'm correct. That Michael's, doesn't explain why we. Differ. Michael's like a kid in a candy store. You have to have all these the these gadgets, a, these effects, these these gadgets that I go to a movie to see interesting stuff well the thing is i mean i will say this though the, the movie watching experience has changed since home theater became really comparable in a lot of ways and on a lot of levels to watching a movie uh in a theater i mean big screens high definition nice sound speaker you know system not only that you can you know at your house you can do whatever you want you can pause the movie you can talk you can do whatever which makes it in a lot of ways, a more enjoyable experience all around, oh, including like drinking and stuff, which you can't do at most theaters. I'm just saying. In the states. In the states, well, there are a couple where they serve beer, but it's like seven bucks a pop, like you know, like everything else, which is pretty cheap for movie theater prices. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. And the whole reason we're going into this this topic is because we went to see Life of Pi in in 3D because it was filmed to be broadcast shot in 3D to be to be watched in 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 3D and I would I would not normally go see a movie in in 3D because but I insisted but Michael insisted and and to this day I'm still unimpressed with with 3D technology I think it's still a gimmick I think it's just something that we can that we can do so so we're going to I don't think it really serves any any great purpose for the story. Um, I think you, you, you can tell the same compelling story in 2D, and I think it's actually better. Um, because it's less distracting for you. It is. Right. It is less distracting. But, see, this is the thing. I mean, at, at the beginning of any uh, new technology, in, in the beginning of its introduction, it's always going to be a gimmick. I mean, that's the way it is with anything. I mean, we talk to musicians, you know, a drummer, let's say, when he first learns a new trick... He's going to play that trick all the time. Right, it's right. going to be in every song. It's going to be in everything he does because he, he he's just learned it. So it's oh. still novel and interesting. There's the fill. Right. There's that same <laughs> fill, that same role that he just did, right? So like right now, 3D has that same kind of gimmicky quality because it's still new. And so, of course, you're going to have the, you know, the obligatory shots that are like, you know, flying out at your face and stuff like that. That's just the way it is right now. But that was the same way it was with stereo in recording. You know, uh, for a long time, uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys hated stereo. He wanted all of his records in mono. Uh, they ha- they did mono and stereo mixes. 
George Martin of the Beatles did the, his uh, took his m- most of his time in mixing those records, uh, Beatles records, in mono. And uh, when Parlophone came and said that they were going to be releasing stereo records, he had to do some really quick, uh, you know, mixes that ended up being really bad. Actually, if you listen to those original mixes, they're very hard pan stereo. You know, pan drums left. in the right ear, yeah, pan drums right. panned all the way, you know, in one ear, and like vocals all the way in the other. There's Paul in the left ear, exactly. There's John t- in the right. It's terrible. It's really, really bad. But that's what happens when I mean, in most stereo records, you know, uh, from the very beginning. You'll have things like, well, if you really want your money's worth on stereo, you've got to have things moving from the left to the right. So you have like guitar solos on like, you know, uh, Paranoid by Black Sabbath or whatever, where like it's, you know, moving from the left to the right speaker and you're sitting there listening to it and you're like, okay, I mean, I guess that's pretty cool, but it, it does feel very gimmicky. Right. But eventually they stopped doing that because stereo settled in. And they started uh, using stereo as a, a, in a subtle way to just give more depth, depth of, 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 right. of, of you know sound, a, a greater sense of space. Um, and surround sound went through a very similar actually uh, transition as well. And I imagine 3D will as well. There are some things you know 3D is a little bit behind the eight ball though on that stuff. And that if people initially say, "Well, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It makes me dizzy. Whatever." Well, then they they give up on it. But it does have I think it does have a lot to uh, to go for it, which is that it's an experience you can have at a theater that you really cannot have at home to the same extent. Do you think that we should, though? Do you, do you think that should be something that... Well, do you think we should have stereo records? Yeah, but I don't You don't know. need them to transmit the, the no, song. Maybe they no. get in the way. No, no. Um, that, that's not really what I'm saying, though. Um there, there's some. I typically don't see movies in the theater like a drama. I don't. If there's no compelling reason to see it in the theater, yeah, you'll just watch it. Um, and I think Life of Pi was one of those compelling movies to see in the theater. It, it was. It, it it was primarily a drama. There wasn't a whole lot of action, but it was. It was a big movie. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it takes place right. A big movie. It, yeah. it takes place out on the ocean. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of expanse to it, and seeing it on a bigger screen gives it gives it that depth. But for for me, 3D somehow takes that that depth that I guess is is imagined when you're when you're watching it on a normal flat screen and compresses it. <coughs> the screen actually seems to be smaller in three-dimensional film than 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 larger if that makes any sense it kind of makes sense it's like people have to be normal size and when you have when you have this this close-up they still have to be normal size in order to feel like like you're there with them rather than than getting these ultra close-ups that are that are huge on the screen and they feel larger than life but when you when you see it in 3d it's it's because because you're there you yeah. know you feel like like you're there and and it loses that that's a very that strange bigness. perspective man i gotta tell you that's a very strange perspective. but it's but it's the right one no i mean it's yours and and i know that a lot of people probably feel that way but i i don't think that younger people feel that way and i know that a lot of people would say well young people will you know view anything or watch anything that's new because they're just novel you know they, they like anything novel and blah 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 they're immature blah 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 but I think one of the things about it, in same with the high frame rate of The Hobbit, people have been you know griping about that as well. I think a lot of it has to do with they don't have necessarily as much of an experience with film to compare it to 
and so they're not as um, they initially set against it. Yeah. And so when they go to see a movie in high frame rate or 3D, they're more willing to be flexible about you know how they receive it. And um, so I, that that actually bodes well for 3D and for high frame rate stuff. Because if they can get young people used to it enough, you know, old people eventually die, and those young people, and that's what happened. Look, seriously, that's what's happened in film technology in general. Um, I was I was listening to an interview with Robert Zemeckis, uh, who directed uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and they were talking a lot about that. And um, he was saying that you know when Steadicam first came about, like people used it for everything it yeah. was like it was so obnoxious scenes that did not need it at all people were using steadicam and they had all these moving shots and it was like every movie after steadicam came in had steadicam shots we're gonna you follow know? him down the street exactly the whole way the whole way <laughs> right and he was and he was saying that in a lot of ways that really the, that the limitations of film the limitations of your technology really create a lot of those earmarks that we typically say that's good that's what makes good film because you know you have the directors or the cinematographer or whatever having to um work around limitations and their workarounds are you know because they're creative end up creating the interest and the the style that we typically credit to you know this director that director or whatever but he has said you know over time steadicam has fallen into place and is being used now in a much more subtle and subtle and nuanced way. I expect that 3D will probably go the same direction over time, just like stereo records have, and just like any other new technology that's added. That people, you know, they're upset about it at first, and it's unsettling at first. But then eventually, they, uh, you know, the younger generation or whoever—I don't know how it happens—but it gets to be more uh, mainstream. And I'm thankful for people like, you know, Peter Jackson and uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, with 3D mm-hmm. and and maybe even Ang Lee too to some extent uh, being willing to take advantage of these newer technologies even at the cusp of them and sort of familiarize people with some of the things that they can do um, I didn't think Life of Pi was done as well in 3D though oh, yeah, I didn't think so at all um, the, uh, there were a few scenes that were really cool but uh, like Hugo, I, I, I was telling you about this. You didn't see Hugo in 3D, Mm-mm. but Hugo Martin Scorsese in 3D, that was really incredible. I mean, it was done so very well. My wife, who hates seeing movies in 3D because she says they give her a headache, um, said that that was great, and it, and it was like the perfect use of 3D for that film because that film was a lot about you know the history of cinema sure, right. and the you know the advancement of cinematic technology and all that. So it was like. It was. It was. A, it really fills you with this sense of what was it like to watch movies mm-hmm. when movies were brand new. Yeah. Like, what was it like to be that you know for the, one of the members of that first audience that saw like train coming into a station, right? You know, and, and jumped back because the train was coming into the station right. on you know on this video or whatever. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, anyway, moving on. Do you have anything else to say about three D? No, no, not okay. at all. It's, uh, I love it. I, I love 3D. Uh, I mean, to some degree, I think you're right. Um, and, and I think it will eventually become mainstream. Um, and it, it probably does have something to do with, with me being older. But we're not here to talk about technology, so to speak. We're talking about stories. About stories. And that's, that's ultimately what always grabs me about a film. Agreed. Is, is the story good? Is the, and, and I was not at all jazzed about seeing this movie. 
this is a movie that was that was that was recommended that, that we go see so we can so we can discuss the the different story aspects and the story angles of it and it, it seeing the seeing the previews for life of pi it wasn't wasn't even really on my radar screen it was maybe something i would see when it came out on when it came out on dvd but it wasn't it wasn't anything that i was i was going to go pay money to go see well ha- on being on the side of it though having seen it it's a very compelling movie and it and there's there's a lot a lot a lot a lot of depth to it yeah and that's 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 why we're here that's what we're t- well, that's what we're here to talk about right so there's there's depth to it, not because of its 3D nature. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> okay. No, not that was at all. a stupid joke. Um, yeah, because I, I and I and I think just one last touch on the technology thing. I think that we that there needs to be a pluralism of uh, of technology. Like I like vinyl. I like digital technology. I have no problem with any range of i do i like 24 frames per second 2d movies yes if they're good i love them and i even love them for their limitations do i like cathedrals with flying buttresses and romanesque arches in their windows yeah of course do i think that's that those limitations of am that I, am i gonna build my house out of exactly one? No. no no of course not so you know they're the, like you know the the we we listen and, and, and watch and look at and all these kinds of things, art objects from different times, and we recognize that there is a uh, there's some there's a spirit of it. Mm-hmm. There's a spirit there of, of of whether it's the story or the style or you know whatever it may be that is appealing to us. And I, I think the technology is less important um, as far as that's concerned. It, it, it the technology becomes a showcase for the way that the author or creator or artist or whatever is uh, able to uh, to present himself. It becomes part of the story. It does. Right. It does become part of the story to some extent. And at the same time, a lot of it is the fact that in any case, a medium is going to limit the artist. And it's the way that the artist transmits his experience even beyond the limitations and around the limitations of his technology, that that's the difference, I think, between a good artist and a great one. Right. Um, a great artist will utilize the limitations of his technology in order to actually uh, better, to improve his work. And a, a bad artist will come up against the limitations of his technology and say, there's nothing I can do about this. There's no way to transmit this. There's no way to convey it because I don't have the tools available. You know, it's, it's the same reason why in Christian film and such, you have people constantly talking about, oh, well, the reason why Christian film is bad is because it needs more money. They need more money so that they can have, you know, better actors or, 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 better, te- or better visual effects or better whatever, cinematography, yada, yada. And I'm sitting here going, no, that's not the problem. Because even a, a great director can take a small budget and make a great film. Right. Because it's not about the technology involved necessarily. It's not about the funding involved necessarily. It's about how the, uh, the, the vision and creative drive of that person is able to overcome those limitations in order to, con- in order to still transmit whatever he wanted to transmit to the audience. Yeah, it's, it's as simple as telling a compelling story. Exactly. Right. It, it's Which just, costs no more money, right, actually. Right. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. Which typically Christians aren't willing to invest. They well, they want to they want to bang something out and get, and get and get it done and make a, a visual gospel presentation in the art world. And and yeah. And so how does a how does a Christian deal with a with a film like Life of Pi or even a story? I started reading the book um, 
around the time when we were asked to you know to do this. Won't you summarize the story a little bit then? Uh, well, the story is basically of a young boy who is born in Pondicherry, uh, India, which is a French city in India, and uh, his dad owns a zoo, and he's introduced uh, to religion while he's in Pondicherry in the Hindu faith because that's the Indian faith and um, then he's also introduced to Islam and Christianity and he become he adopts all three religions as his aspects own. well he would say that he is a Muslim right that he is a Christian and that he is a Hindu um, and so and really that he has that he has friendship with all faith um, and it's a very it's a very interesting thing because when he meets the priest, you know, for the the the, the father or whatever, um, in the Christian church, uh, he talks about the things about Christianity that appeal to him. Right. And when he meets the imam for the, you know in the in the mosque, he talks about the things about the the Islamic God and the Islam, Islamic religion that are appealing to him. So most of the story, and I'm not going to give away too many spoilers here. Although this this is an in depth, uh, you know, kind of conversation, which I imagine that people will have already seen the movie, or I don't know, who cares? So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that we can. I don't know that we can promise you that we're not going to give you right. spoilers because right. a lot of times it's Listen. the spoilers that are you know part of the spoiler alert. Comments. There yeah. may be spoilers coming. <laughs> right, exactly. well, there may not be. There, but may, there not may be. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So and then the, basically the rest of the story is about how he survives on this lifeboat with Richard Parker, this tiger, hungry yes. <laughs> tiger, um, and uh, you know his resourcefulness and everything like that. So, the frame story in the book is that there is an author who has a failed novel, and he's complaining to a friend about this novel that that you know didn't work out. And his friend tells him, well, you need to meet Pi, this guy Pi. Let him tell you his story because it'll make you believe in God. And so the author's like, well, that's interesting. Let's go and hear Pi's story. So the frame story is the author of the book that you're reading, Life of Pi, is telling you a story you know, from Pi that he heard. And he's also giving his own ideas like throughout. Um, there, you know, there'll be these really short chapters that are in italics where he's just telling you, you know, I'm at Pi's house and this is, you know, present day. And, uh, he's, you know, he's just made me like tons of really spicy food. And I just met his daughter. I had no idea he had a child. You know, I've been over here three times and more and more things about Pi continue to be, you know, revealed to me and all this kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, story within story and stuff like that, which is a really important concept. Because I, I, I like to think of Life of Pi as rather than a choose-your-own-adventure story, it's kind of a choose-your-own-story adventure. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're, you're supposed to think about it in terms of um, not factuality, but truth. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talk, I've talked before about, you know, the usefulness of fiction, the fact that fiction can be true. But this movie is troubling in a lot of ways. It will be troubling for a lot of Christians because right. immediately when they watch it, they're going to say, you know, it, it's as if he's saying there that, you know, anything could be true or whatever you believe to be true is true for you. And that's good enough for you. Which and is, which is what? Re- probably relativism. Right. 
Right. And so, and in, in Eric and I, we've talked about the, that there's a, a difference. It might be a fine distinction, but there is a difference between relativism and pluralism. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the book especially is more pluralistic than relativistic. Um, and by that, what I mean is that relativism says it doesn't matter right. what you believe. If it works for you. If it works for you, right. then go with it. It's good. Pluralism is slightly different in that it says be open to the different things around you and the different truths around you and the different things that people believe and say because you don't because you don't necessarily have the whole picture yourself. Right. So you need to be open to listen to Well, it is it is like that like that I guess it's it's an Indian story mm-hmm. with those five Blindfolded men trying to trying to determine what they what they have before them. The elephant. You know, you know, one yeah. feels the trunk. One feels the tail. One feels the leg. You know, they all they all experience something differently. They're all experiencing the elephant, but they're all experiencing it in different ways. Right. They're all they're all right. They're all quote unquote right in in what they're saying. So Christians look at that and they say, "See, look, it's all relativistic. It, it, it doesn't matter what you think. It's a, no, it's not because there's an absolute truth there. They're all touching an elephant. Right. It is." And it is pluralistic in right. a sense because you cannot ever grasp truth completely, or else you're God, right? Or else you are God, right? And and that's and and that's what Christians often fail to grasp is that Christianity isn't telling the whole story. It it is in 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 what in, in what we need to know, but there's still more. Or, or else, why are we here? What, why are what, we living? Why are we living at all? Right. You know, we we could just be plugged into the matrix, dump <laughs> dump the information in that we need to know, and yeah. that's it. But there is, I think I think Paul makes clear in First Corinthians twelve that that the church is a pluralistic institution. Right. Some are ears, some are eyes, some are feet, some are hands, and when the hands try to be the feet, the whole thing is in trouble. Right. The whole institution is in trouble because people are stepping outside of what God created them to do, what he created them to be, right? where, where their skill set is supposed to be used. And there's a big difference there, and I, and I mean mostly in attitude. Like the bumper sticker, you're driving down the road and you see like coexist. I don't think that's a pluralistic bumper sticker as much as it is a relativistic bumper sticker because the point of the person who has that on his car is I don't believe in any of it. Right. So it's all alike to me. Yeah. It's all alike false. So everybody else, please shut up. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But see, a pluralistic person is not really approaching it from that perspective. He's approaching it more from I want to keep my mind and my ears open to a lot of different approaches because I am... I, I cannot be sure, or I should not be sure that I have the whole picture, the whole idea for myself. Right. But it, but it, it needs it needs to be emphasized there that that there is a pursuit of an absolute truth. There is, even though various people are saying should be, well, yeah. but I think I think I think there is there the, the saying that 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 you and I are both seeing this one thing differently is an admission of absolute truth that it's okay that we see things differently. In fact, we should be because we each come from different places. We, we, we experience different things. We didn't arrive at this, at, at this on this deck on the back of Joe's house at the same, at the same time in the same way, even in the same decade. Right. You know, we, we came different paths to come here. So obviously our, 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 interpretation of things is going to be different but it's an admission that absolute truth exists it's very troubling still though for a lot of christians because i mean then 
But it why? Beca- it becomes well it, because it becomes a situation where then how do you know what's true? If 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 what you believe to be true is obviously not the whole truth. Because it, you know it's it's subjective, which it is. I mean, you can't escape the fact that it's going to be subjective. Right. You know, I mean, I can say that the scripture is the word of God and the infallible word of God, and yet still and individually do. and person you can do right. Yeah. Sorry, I do, <laughs> and still individually, you know, from person to person, your interpretation of that same exact, sometimes the same exact text, might be legitimate within your framework and understanding, right, and still be very different. Right. From the perspective that somebody else has. Now, am I going to go and say, well, maybe both people have a true understanding? I, I, maybe, how about maybe both people have a false understanding? How about maybe both have a part? A part of it. Right. A part of, the, a part of it. And, and, and that's the thing, a necessary part of it. Yeah, it is. A necessary part of it. There, there, there is a sense in which, if ever, no, not a sense, it's absolutely the case. That every part supplies something to the whole church. And because of that, like you said, the church to a large extent must be, should be, a, a communion mm-hmm. of different ideas that are, in fact, coexisting. Right. And that, and you know, uh, disagreement without discord. Right. I can disagree with you on things. I mean, we, we, we don't both have to like 3D. Right. It's okay right. for you not to and for me to. It right. doesn't, it, but there is, there is a point where Paul has to go confront Peter to his face. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are there are certain essentials. There are certain things that 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 we can't that we can't. Oh, oh well, okay. That's how you want to interpret that. That's fine. Uh, I, I mean, there are absolute things that we need to that we need to if if it comes down to it, separate over. Yes, but I think the attitude is important. It is the attitude of, and, and this is the thing that's really appealing about Life of Pi, the book. It doesn't come across as much in the movie, unfortunately. Well, the movie's both. The movie's, the movie's relativistic and, and pluralistic. pluralistic. Yeah, it has its moments of, of relativism and its moments of pluralism. But the book, I think, is more squarely pluralistic. And there's a ver- there is a very endearing modesty to Pi, to his approach, to just his openness to these people, to his gentleness as a person. It's well, very appealing. Well, you have some, you have some quotes there yeah. fr- from the book that I think illustrate that, that if, if, um, if you... You, you kind of be willing to turn off your um, holier than thou Christianity. These these quotations can really, really. I mean, they could almost come out of the Bible, right? Yeah, no. So, like for instance, with this one, he's just talked about how zoos are um, zoos, as in where animals are, not yes. not Zeus, the Greek god, right? Zoos. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how people have difficulty with zoos because they think that animals would be better off in their quote-unquote natural environment where they're free, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And he just went through this whole explanation of how actually animals are happier in zoos in general if they're if they're well taken care of than they would be in the wild because a lot of the things that they're struggling for in the wild, they have – you know, they have for them in, in the zoo or whatever. So that's his opinion. He's like, you can disagree with me. I'm not insisting on this. But he says, I know zoos, this is a quote from the book, I know zoos are no longer in people's good graces. Religion faces the same problem. Certain illusions about freedom plague them both. Meaning people don't want to believe in religion. They don't want to believe in God they, for the same reason that they don't want zoos to, be, to, to exist. Because they have this idea that they are free, in fact. That they, oh, no, because I've got my total free will. I don't want to believe in, in some overarching plan. I don't want to believe in some, 
you know, grand design. Right. You know, because that impinges on my identity and, and, and my freedom and right. whatever, you know, the kind of thing. Uh, great, great quote. Um, there's another one. I mean, in, in Bonson, <laughs> Bonson could have said it. <laughs> Bonson basically did say the same thing. Um, so he has a friend who's a teacher, is a science teacher at his school, and um, uh, he says that he, he felt a kinship with him, with this science teacher who was an atheist. And this is a quote from the book. It was my first clue that atheists are my brothers and sisters of a different faith, and every word they speak speaks of faith. Like me, they go as far as the legs of reason will carry them, and then they leap. I'll be honest about it. It is not atheists who get stuck in my craw, but agnostics. Doubt is useful for a while. We must all pass through the Garden of Gethsemane. If Christ played with doubt, so must we. If Christ spent an anguished night in prayer, if he burst out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then surely we are also permitted doubt, but we must move on. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. Right. It's, it's <clears throat> becoming a, a follower of Descartes. Mm-hmm. Who didn't do it all the way? Right, but he just opened the door. But what was his? Know? What's his? What's his famous? His famous maxim: "I think, therefore I am." But they don't. You don't, you, you very rarely hear the sentence that comes before it. Yeah, I, I doubt. doubt therefore, therefore I think. I think therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's what the who's the author again? Jan Martel. That that's I think what he's saying that 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 doubt is is valuable. Doubt's a very valuable thing. Um, it, there's there. Whenever you get to the point where you think I've arrived, I know, I know what I know, and it's my job on this earth to show everybody else that I know and that they're wrong. You're asking for trouble, right? Because you don't, right? And you there is know. something about that modesty, right? That is important. I, I did you ever did I ever show you the Did you read Flatland? No. Um, did you read? It was. Um, it's the romance of geometric proportions or a geometrical romance or something. It was written, it was one of the first kind of like mathematical sci-fi novels. It was written by this preacher. Um, it's a really interesting book, but basically what it's about is about this uh, circle who lives in 2D land, who is graced with a vision concerning 3D land. And, um, and but he can't convince the other people in 2D land that he is anything other than crazy because they don't they they just don't have the capacity to understand space so whenever he tries to explain space to them they just think he's a mad person so they end up locking him up and he and, you know all this kind of stuff um so and in that worldview he is he is crazy right now and and so the question was why Abbott wrote the book, and he says explicitly at the beginning, he says, so that we may all gain some modesty. Right. So, like, the idea that, you know, read this book and recognize that a person might have the truth and come to you with it, and you would think it madness. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are lots of stories like that, that, that expose the fact that, you know, it's a difficult thing, okay? I mean, it's a difficult thing, because on one end you say... Dogmatism is good. A man should have convictions. A man should be willing to live by them. And on the other end, you say, well, one of the major problems that non-Christians have with the church is that 
you know, non-Christians say, well, all you guys are so dogmatic about what you believe. And so it really does raise a, a sort of dilemma. How is it, you know, I read this book, I, I like, you know, I liked, I, I've, I've liked what I've read of it. I haven't finished it yet. Sorry. Um, but uh, in life of Pi, I've really enjoyed it so far and it's well written and I like the attitude that Pi has. Um, and yet at the same time I can recognize, well, I, I know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the father, but by him. So I cannot, I cannot say that there is equal value to say that there's equal value in Islam or, you know, Hinduism or Christianity. I know to be a falsehood. Right. And yet it's not really the idea of it that's appealing to me as much as it is his attitude, his willingness to listen, his willingness to hear things out, Mm -hmm. you know. There's a point where you have to be dogmatic about your dogmatism. And I mean, we do, we do have to be dogmatic. Jesus is emphatic. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what does that mean? What 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 does it mean that he's the way? What does it mean that he's the truth? What does it mean that he's the life? Well, we see John fourteen six put up on a banner like that's it. Yeah. All you all you other people get on board, or you're going to burn in hell. Well, that's not all there is because that's not where Jesus stopped. Jesus defined what it meant to be the truth. Jesus defined what it meant for him to be the way, and he he, he defined what it meant for him to be the life. There wasn't. It's it's not just a slogan faith. It's a it's a full orb worldview. That he's that he's that he's bringing, that he's bringing to people, but we but we want to encapsulate it. We want to put it on a business card. We want to hold it up at a football stadium in the end zone, John three sixteen, and expect that to be the end of it. This is this is the evangelistic message of Jesus. In fact, I'm not even going to put it on this card for you. I'm going to make you look it up. Well, but I, I mean, I have questions about it, though. I mean, I have questions about. I mean, my wife and I talked about it a lot after when I started reading this because I, I was reading some quotes to her from it, and we were, we both thought that there was some really interesting stuff in this book. Um, it takes a maturity in Christianity in order to be able to say that, though. In order to be able to say, "Look, I have such a trust," and this is where, as you were saying, this is this is where Bonson comes in. Mm-hmm. You have such a a a trust and. A faith, really, that what what Jesus says and what the Bible teaches is the truth. So it really doesn't it really doesn't matter. I can go I can go find the truth in 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 air quotes. I can go find the truth anywhere because this is as Paul says in Romans one. It's written it's written on this on this created world because God created it. So His truth is everywhere. And I can, and through the lens of the scripture, the interpretive lens of the exactly. scripture, I can understand that and I can see it. Right. But it doesn't change the fact that for many people who seek the truth in the world, it was not through the world. I mean, what does it say? Um, God in his wisdom, through wisdom, did not reveal right. himself to man. Because they were taking the know? creation and trying to reinterpret the creator. Exactly. Making God in their own image. Right. And so, you know, he says, you know, it is the, the preaching of the cross the, a, a message that's foolishness to the world, right. which is the power of God to save sinners, and and it's a stumbling block to to Jews for other reasons. But right, um, and, and there's a modesty there. There is. It's an it's an admission that I'm not the I'm not the final arbiter of truth. Right. As as Saint Anselm said, I don't I don't believe in order to understand. 
I understand in order to believe. Wait, the way around. Is that what you're saying? I don't. I don't understand in order to believe. I believe. In I, I believe in order to understand. Right. Yeah. What did I say? The other way around. The other way around. It doesn't matter. Whichever way, it's it. more profound. That's, that's <laughs> the right way. But I mean, Aquinas had an opposite. I think it was Augustine actually. I'm not sure, but I think it was Augustine with the believe in order to understand. But Aquinas had it the other way around. That you know that that you understood so that you could support your belief. Right. And that's Aquinas' natural law coming out. Right, I know. And it's a difficult thing. Like I said, it's a very difficult thing. It's a difficult thing for Christians because, for instance, you know, if you go out there and you show evidence of the truth to a non-Christian, because of the fact that they interpret the evidence evidence differently than you do, it doesn't necessarily ring true to them right. as evidence for what you think it is. Right. Um, and that's a difficult thing because oftentimes evidence does not convict, it just condemns. Right. You've seen the truth and you didn't see the truth in it. Having eyes you did not see, having ears you did not hear. You know, and that was the whole point of the parables and of a lot of, you know, the prophets preaching was, was that you would see the truth in the world, but not being able to really see it, you were condemned rather than converted. In fact, you know, spoiler alert to the scriptures, that's what that's why Jesus said he spoke in parables mm-hmm. in order to confound them. Right. In order to make it difficult for them to understand. And that is hard. It is hard. It's a hard thing. So anyway, my wife and I both thought that that it would help in the church that it would help Oh, it's it's a difficult I mean, it's a difficult thing to say cuz there's there are so many people who as soon as you start speaking about this stuff they say, you know, heresy. Right. Like, but um but doesn't isn't that just a result of what they've been taught? Probably. Yeah, maybe. But it's still it still is a delicate issue. Sure it is. I mean, I, I I've talked to pastors. I there's and it's a great it's a great idea, you know, this story that they the analogy that they put out there, but I, I talked to my pastor now about this. And, you know, he said um because in one of his sermons he said that uh, and and I've heard it before from other pastors as well you don't study fall, you don't study a, a counterfeit dollar bill in order to you know understand what is counterfeit you know counterfeiters study the real dollar bill mm-hmm. in all of its detail so that when they recognize it so they can recognize they right a away. counterfeit yeah. and and, I, and now I hear that and that is absolutely the reason why a christian for his for the safety of, of his and purity of his heart in order to guard his heart, needs to fill his mind and heart with the scriptures and study them and study them and study them. And that needs to be, you know, generally the thing that he studies. But I don't look at false philosophy and watch movies that are filled with bad ideas for my own sake as much as for the sake of the people who believe those things. Because, and, and that's the difference there. I don't study counterfeit dollar bills in order to be able to determine counterfeits for myself. It's more that when I go to talk to this non-Christian who believes in Hinduism or who believes in, you know, pluralism, relativism, you know, whatever ism you want to put throw out there, that I have enough of a familiarity with the with the contours and structures of, of those philosophies that I am able to understand where he's coming from. I'm able to understand. I mean, it's not it's not good enough to go in there and say that is false. Mm-hmm. You still need to understand. I think, for the sake of the person you're talking to, what is appealing about the falsehood to them? Because it's only in that that you can really start to deal with that person as a person. Right. 
you know, like as in, as in, well, let me, let's try and dig up what it is. Rather than a conquest. Exactly. What is it in your experience that causes this to be so appealing to you so that Lord willing, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, I can lead you out of this falsehood into the truth. But I, I really do believe that's one of the major failings of, of Christian art especially Christian art that seeks to work as evangelism is that they haven't framed the problem very well. They haven't understood the appeal of these different falsehoods and these different temptations enough to, to give a legitimate and, um, you know, authentic, authentic perspective on the problem. Cause they're like, we have the solution. Why should we frame the problem? Who mm-hmm. needs the problem? So they throw out these vague, abstracted right. kind of, you know, I walk through the valley of darkness kind of stuff, you know, in their music and in their movies and whatever else. But they've never really framed what is the, the real issue at hand in any of these given specific situations. Right. And so it ends up coming across, I, honestly, it really does come across as a prosperity type gospel. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the only way that they can really show the appeal of it is, you know, here's a dude and his car's breaking down and he's losing his job and he's got no money in the bank account and things with his wife are real difficult and then he believes in Jesus and everything works out. Oh, and he gets a new truck. And he gets a new the truck. The football team and, starts winning games. Yeah, exactly, right. Uh, you know, no offense to the Kendrick brothers, but that, that that's... That is how a lot of those movies feel. Right. And and, and instead, it's, it's more like, well, no, it's, it's because there's not just these superficial things that are appealing to people about falsehood. It's not just the fulfillment of natural or physical urges. And part of that is the Platonism of, of, of the modern Christian church and its idea that, you know, if only I didn't have a body, then I wouldn't sin so much. Mm-hmm. Eh, incorrect. Right. That it's the urges of the spirit and the urges of the soul that are the main issues at hand. Not only that, but they're primary. They're the primary. They're, well, that's, yeah. that's why your body sins, because mm-hmm. your mind is sinful to begin with. You right. Are, you, are, you are sick in your soul. You right. are sick in your spirit. And your body follows that. Right. It's it's not that your body's making your spirit sick. Right. It's not the other way around. Definitely. So let's okay, we we threw out the word authentic. And I think Life of Pi deals with that because at least in the movie, I yeah, you read the book, I, book I didn't. Um and I, I don't know how else to do this. We have to deal with the end of the movie. Yeah, you do. Um you get to the end, Pi finishes his story, and, and there's a scene, it's a very, very quick scene, where Pi is, is dragging an animal onto his, onto his lifeboat after the, after the ship sinks and everything. And what does he say? Welcome to Pi's Ark. Uh-huh. So there's this, this, it's almost this foreshadowing that, that this is a story. Right. That this is a... Almost a myth, there's a mythos. Yeah, there's a, there's a historical narrative that I'm, that, 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 yeah, the boat sank, yeah, there was animals on board, yeah, there was other people, but here's, here's how I've interpreted it. And then he, 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 I don't even want to talk about the carnivorous island, because it just, it's just a, it's like a wrench in the whole thing. It, no, it's not, though. It's, it's not. It's it's not a wrench in the whole thing, but continue with your point first. We'll go back. Okay, but well, we get to the end, we get to the end of the movie, and this and this this would be novelist who's who's looking to write his his great story looks at Pi and and says, uh, "Yeah, that is a fantastic story," mm-hmm. and 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 really doesn't know what to make of the whole thing. Um, so he he plods. He just he pulls just a little bit more out of. 
out of pie yeah. and finally gets him to to talk about um at, you know as as we said they were on a a japanese merchant ship and these and these japanese these um owners or or people that work for this company come to pie and you know this is after he gets rescued and they say look we need a believable story right you told us a story about all these animals and everything we need a believable story to, yeah we need a, we need a believable story to take to take back to our investors so, so what he tells you then is what seems to be the real story of of what happened the the boat sinks there is there was a couple of people on board there i mean he 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 goes and he tells what seems to be a more believable story factual what 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 seems to be the the or at least what they want to hear right and and he tells it with conviction he tells it with 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 believability but it takes about 5 minutes whereas the the story with the animals and and everything else took the, the large part of the movie and then he he looks at the at the would be novelist and he says so you tell me which is the better story or which story do you prefer That's or which story what do you prefer says, yeah. yeah which story do you prefer and he he says well the one with the animals well, the one with the tiger the one yeah. with the tiger and that's where I think that that kind of harkens back to Welcome to Pi's Ark. Mm-hmm. That that it's it 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 it's not so much if 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 Noah's Ark is a true story, but does it relate truth? Does right. it teach truth? Right. Or which story do you prefer? Which story? And and in that sense, the movie comes out more as a relativistic, as in right. which story does it for you? Right. Right. Which and. I mean, who's who's going to say that the first story wasn't more compelling, wasn't more interesting as a story? And that's what I think a lot of times what we've lost in Christianity. We've we've exchanged facts for a compelling story. The story, uh, I mean, we, we've referred to it as the greatest story ever told. Right. Well, the story, as soon as you say story, it sounds somewhat flaky not yeah not true right. maybe maybe aspects of truth to it but that's that's that is not that is not at all the that is, that is not all the case a a story is is simply how you relate how you how you inform somebody else of what what's michael tell me your story mm-hmm. how did how did you get here um it's it 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 doesn't have to be a non-factual a non-truthful thing but it it can be but a non-factual story can relate truth. Right, right, and, right. And in, in this case, and, and, and he says that, look, in both stories, the ship sank, people died, uh, a lot of cargo was lost. And I was delivered. And I was delivered. Which one do you prefer? Right. The same facts, quote unquote. Right. So what, I mean, what are we to take from that then? You know, forge your own path, whatever works for you. Well, and there's another there's another dimension there too that there was a character left out of his more quote, realistic story, the one that the Japanese people were more likely to believe. Um, there was a character left out. Which one? Um, well, you remember how all all of the animals that were on the boat were replaced with uh, people. Yes. And so it's either that there wasn't a tiger. No, 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 no. Because that 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 author said, "And you're the tiger." Right. So you're the tiger. Yes. Right. Well, that but there's still an extra person in the story, in the original story. Him, right? As an observer, or or that he's there in both stories, but the tiger isn't there. Mm-hmm. 
that if he becomes the tiger, then the tiger doesn't exist outside of himself. Right. Right. In the second story, the more believable story. And so I, I started to think that maybe the tiger between the two stories was the superfluous God. Now, you're familiar with the atheist use of a Combs razor. The, like, it's a scientific idea. Whichever that, is simpler is probably the right. Yeah, exactly. That, that a hypothesis should be free from any unnecessary premises. Right. So, you know, if it, and so a lot of people would say, according to Occam's Razor, you don't need God because Because it complicates things. Because it just adds a premise that's right. not necessary to explain the facts, which right. is why theistic evolution is stupid. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if God could have used evolution, if evolution as a natural process could have worked, then why posit God right. if he's an unnecessary premise? In the explanations of he these was just events. there to wind it up, right? I mean, even then, a theistic evolution wouldn't even. I mean, if you believe in evolution, you don't need a god. That's right. the whole point of evolution, right? You know, so uh, it, <laughs> you know, so so Occam's Razor would say, remove him. He's an unnecessary premise to an already established hypothesis. Okay, so then what's interesting about this is he starts saying, if you if you hear my story, I'll, I'll have you believe in God by the end of it, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what the author would be author you know is thinking will be the case right so in a sense by saying I prefer the story with the tiger what he was really saying was in my opinion I prefer the story with God but that's where it starts to get very interesting because then you think okay well then let's start to interpret the relationship that Pi had with the tiger in terms of his relationship with God right this terrible beast. And even you said that, right? And I think he quoted this. This is a quote from the movie or something where he said, the terrible beast that saved my life. The terrible one, yeah. That saved my life. Right, right. the terrible one. Yes. And even that makes it even more clear right. that he's a sort of stand-in for God. Right. And I, He's I, the evil God of the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the terrible, the, the terrible one, the, the one that fills you with terror right. but, is, is, but, but also saves you. Saves you. Yes. And that you have to serve, right? Or he, or you will die mm-hmm. at his hands, right? And so you have to appease him with sacrifices of animal, animal right. sacrifices. You know, I mean, like all these things. Like it starts to kind of come together that, in whatever sense, within that story, the the tiger is a stand-in for the terrible god, mm-hmm. um, who is also a lovely god, a lovely and terrible god. You know, majestic, and majestic, powerful, regal, yeah. and he even says this: the it's, royal it's, tiger. It's a royal Bengal tiger. Yeah. It's a, and, and he in the book he he mentions that specifically and italicizes royal as it's very important to understand how majestic this mm-hmm. creature was, uh, especially at that proximity. Um, and and, I, and and that is you know on a on a purely visual level, the movie gets that right. It does. They they it uh, does. it's in, it's incredible how they can get this. What I I imagine is for the most part a CGI tiger. It's but it's, it looks it's, really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But see, okay. So then this is the thing. And uh, when I was in college, I took a very weird course called animal phenomenology, where and the guy that the guy that taught it was an ex Jesuit priest. Meaning he was not. He used to be a Jesuit priest. Was not anymore. And he had become an animal worshiper for all intents and purposes. And so he. And one of the things, we read all these essays, and one of the things they talked about was that the the eminence of an animal functions somewhat in the same way that the transcendence of God functions. In that you can look, and this is what they said specifically in this article, you can look into an animal's eyes and see whatever you want to see. 
because you don't know there's nothing there. It's like, you know what I mean? It's so that it's almost infinitely deep because it's infinitely shallow. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was their explanation for why people in the past had worshipped animals was that there was a sort of a, the unreachable there. But where does that depth, where does that depth always come from? It comes from the individual. He does. Imposing it upon the animal. Right. And in the book, he talks specifically, he said, you know, he, there was a sign in the zoo that the father put up in the zoo that, that it said, meet the most dangerous animal in the zoo. And it was a mirror. (laughs) And, uh, you know, for all the human people, because in his, in his thing was that, um, and he even says anthropomorphism is the the most dangerous thing you can do around an animal is give it human characteristics. And Pi talks about how even still he still couldn't help but do it. He still couldn't help but see the the behavior of a monkey and say, you know, uh, isn't that just like a you know a drama played out right. between two people? You know, isn't that you know aren't these aren't these birds like gossiping? Right. Like, doesn't it seem like you know all this kind of stuff? And, and add these animal these human characteristics to the animals he saw in the zoo. Well, there's that that scene in the movie where where he show where me he, what where, you see. Where he, but but where he yeah. sees the tiger as his friend and he wants to feed the tiger. Right. And his and his father comes in and and, and, and pulls and, him away. Yeah, and pulls him away, and then and then teaches him a lesson that he doesn't soon forget mm-hmm. that. What does he, what does he release into the a goat? A goat, right? And it's not, it's not even, it's on their side of the cage, right? The the tiger comes through and pulls that goat through to his side of the cage, and yeah, and 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 leaves a indelible mark, right, on on pie that this tiger is not your friend, and that's reinforced at the end when the tiger leaves into the jungle without completely unceremoniously. Yeah, I'm saved. See ya. See you later. Yeah. Like, doesn't even look back. Right. And Pi is, is devastated yeah. by that because he thinks, you know, I thought that, that was my we, had, we had this, some special connection. Right. And now we don't have that connection. And right. so even in that, you have this idea of if there, is a, if there is a God who's the creator of the universe and he is transcendent and unknowable and unreachable, then how could we have a personal relationship with him? Right. And that's why in the book and in the movie, he talks about this to some extent, that, that Christianity was the most difficult religion for him. Right. Because, uh, because when he met Jesus, he, 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 he couldn't understand why such a normal person, such a normal everyday person sh- should be worshipped. Right. Why would the Son of God become a human being? Right. right? And, and there, there it is. For me. There's the foolishness yes. of it. There is the foolishness of it. And for some reason, he said he could not get it out of his head, and he kept on going back to it, and he kept on going back to talk to the Father and, you right. know, about the love of God, and he couldn't get over the appeal of that. There were some, there were some Greeks who came back to Paul and said, tell us more. Tell us more. Yeah, and that, that was, that but, was this kid. But many went away scoffing. Right. Saying, he did is, not. Right. And he didn't go away scoffing. It's just that he, for whatever reason, also liked... And this is the thing. The things that he talks about that he liked about Islam were the the the, the unitariness of God mm-hmm. and the, the simplicity the simplicity of it and the and the really the terror of mm-hmm. it. How how powerful That's what God should be like. Yeah, exactly. He was. And um 
And with the Hindu religion, you know, he has that same idea that, that, that there are these great, huge gods. You know, he talks about the story, and this story is in the movie, um, you know, of, of uh, Krishna, um, his, his mother coming up and giving a hard time for eating dirt. And he said, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't eaten dirt. And, and she said, well, then open your mouth and let me look into it. And he opens his mouth, and she looks down and sees the whole universe in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, like that's the kind of gods that impress the Hindus. Right. You know, the spectacle of it, you know, the grand mystery of it. And then you meet Jesus and it, he, and he's the God of the dirt. Mm-hmm. Like he, he came to earth. Right. And, uh, and, and, a, and this is what Christianity has that no other religion has. It has a transcendent God who is also imminent. Right. It has a God who is beyond us and unreachable who becomes one of us so that, and so that we can touch him. Right. He's the one and so the So that many. we can meet him. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I find that really interesting, and I and I wonder whether this whole, you know, the the, the whole tiger stand-in for God in the movie, uh, in, in in Life of Pi, is sort of, uh, a ch- and in a way, it kind of cheapens, because there's that one scene, you know, where the the tiger is on the boat, and the there's a huge storm and, and throughout the movie, Pi loves to go out by the way and watch the terribleness of, of, of God in, in the sense of the power uh, right. the God's calamitous power. Right. Uh, yeah, to yeah. Especially during that storm. Right. During both Richard storms. Richard Parker, come look at this. Come this look at this. It's beautiful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then he asks, he kind of yells out into the sky. Why are you scaring him? Right. Concerning. Cause Richard that's what Parker. Richard Parker wants to do. He wants to hide. Right. He doesn't want to see the terribleness. Right. But Pi does. Pi does. And there's something that's appealing to him about like the the the, the extraordinary amount of calamitous power mm-hmm. that's there, and then you know I I don't know I mean I think that maybe the that when he goes and talks to this guy and he says do you prefer the story with the tiger or without the tiger it's almost like he's asking the guy do you prefer the story with God or without him. or without God or with or with pure reason like his father always right. Uh, always said yeah and and then you know he says with ti- with the tiger mm-hmm. and i guess in that sense pi has fulfilled that condition that yeah. okay well then you prefer life with god then that's yeah. what you're really saying um but there are things that contradict that throughout the movie there as are. well and and that but that's the problem with a purely pu- pluralistic you know and, and i'm not talking about the modest everything and nothing can become god exactly and yeah. and 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 it doesn't matter if there are contradictions right you know, and uh, Ravi Zacharias talks about this, that it's different talking to an Eastern person about religion. Because they'll just add it in. Yeah, because exactly. It's like, yeah, Jesus, just add him into the other sure. pantheon, yeah. you know. That'll, that'll be fine. Cool, another one. And it's not an either-or thing. He talks about, like, you know, both and. Mm-hmm. Both and, and. And, like, the law of non-contradiction means nothing to Eastern people because they're like, well, right. why should it be that, you know— God can't be right. both transcendent and also a tiger. Right. You know that he that we couldn't worship this tiger as God and have an elephant-headed God and also have a monkey God and have whatever else kind of gods we wanted. And you know, like what well, I don't understand, like yeah. what is it? Because we see God in all of our animals, right? And it's almost as if the the thing about it that's true though is that it's the elephant picture again. At any given moment, for any given person, in in the limited breath of time that you have for life, you can't see the whole picture, right? I can't even see the whole picture at any given time. I mean, I can't. Right. 
So all I can see at any given time is is that thing that's right in front of me. Right. And I mean, there are so many truths within the scriptures, and that's why there are so many books in the scriptures that seem set almost against themselves, right? So you have Romans, you know, talking about, you know, justification by faith alone, and then you have James coming in saying, you know, ju- justification is, is, is by works mm-hmm. as well. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not saying that either are false or even that they are in fact set against one another. It's just there is a tension there because there are things that are larger than our finite perspective can grasp at the same time. So, there's somewhat of a truth in the Eastern perspective of being able to to hold on to both and, you know, I mean, even Ecclesiastes talks about this. The preacher says, you know, hold one thing in your right hand and another in your left and do not let go of either because the wise man comes out with both, mm-hmm. you know, that you don't have to, that, that, that it's possible. In fact, it's it's better if you're wise to be able to hold on to the to both of those things at the same time. And we even talked about transcendence versus eminence. They're both true. Right. At any given moment, though, you might appreciate the eminence of God and see it very clearly, and at another moment, see the transcendence of God and appreciate it very clearly. Mm-hmm. But it's almost impossible for any finite creature to put those two things together in one moment, Yeah, you know, in a single experience. I don't, I would go so far as to say it is impossible because we are finite. That's, that's... Even if God, in his grace, opened up your mind and poured everything, all knowledge in, you would still not know what God knows because, you're inf- because he's infinite and you're finite. Right. You could never, you can't experience infiniteness ever. Right. Because you are a finite being. You, you still, always will be. You still have to go along and pick things up right. one at a time. Right. And follow it linearly so from beginning It's not about just who has the most knowledge or, or, or who has the best um, the best story or the best the best facts all this stuff has to fit together and there is a lot of tension there but is good, good tension well of course yeah you know and, yeah. and it also it, there's another thing about it that i think is important about the the eastern perspective which again i think that we can learn from which is that it's much more local and the scriptures are very much along these lines as well in terms of whatever is appropriate for the hearer mm-hmm. for the need of the moment. Right. Like that's a very located, local, small scale kind of approach right. to what is, you know, because I mean, I can say something and it may be very true, but it may not be terribly profitable at that given point in time right. or with that given audience. Yeah, and, like, like, like Paul in Acts 17. I mean, he would have been fully justified to run into the Areopagus and start knocking all the statues over. Just knocking, these are false gods, you you guys are pagan worshipers, you don't know what you're doing. But what does he do? He goes in and he adopts them. He says, what you worship in ignorance, I'm, I'm here to proclaim to you. Right. You have, a, you have an idea of, of this over here? Good. You have an idea of this over here? Very good. Mm-hmm. Let me take these and put them both put the, together. Put the, give you the lens of the scriptures right. to understand where you're coming from here. Right. And I And I feel like but you, as a as I think Paul did have a, a good understanding though of where they were coming from, and so he approached right. it in terms of how do I reach these people where they are? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a very good reason why Peter wasn't in the Areopagus. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was Paul who was right. the who apostle was, to the Gentiles who was trained under Gamaliel. I, I mean, he understood he understood the Greek mind, and he was able to to put it into perspective that 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 few others were were able to do. And he was called for that. I mean, there's there's no 
there's no, it's no accident that Paul was on Mars Hill that day. Right. He was there for a particular reason, and he and he took it and he ran with it. So to appreciate the diversity within the church, I mean that you have to. You, you, you absolutely have to. have to. You have to say, well, you know what? There's a reason why this guy in the church appreciates these things. Right. And is interested in these things and has gifts from God in these particular mm-hmm. areas that I don't necessarily have. I may not even have the capacity to appreciate right. what it is that he's able to Much do. Much less understand. Much less understand. Yeah. But I do, but you've got to go in there and say, you know, it is good that there are people of very different skill sets right. and, and tastes right. even and opinions. Right. Because they have callings in their lives to do things, right. you know, that... You know, and that doesn't mean I can't get along with it. It doesn't mean I can't love them deeply and very much appreciate that. And that's the kind of attitude that I think that the Christian church is missing somewhat. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the Christian church's fault. Um, But it is, I think, an effect of the culture that's around us in the sense that there's such a drive towards centralization, Mm -hmm. a drive towards homogenization, right? I mean... Because um, it, it's easy. It's easier. It's easier to do it that way, and it's also you know ready made. Right. Like I can create a curriculum and put it on a national level and just pump it into every child right. all the same, and you right. know then we'll all think the same. And it'll here's be so what you need easier. to know. Right. These these four spiritual laws, or mm-hmm. and 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 that and I I always always go back to Matthew twenty eight. You know, if it was as simple as as going out and just giving people facts. Jesus wouldn't say go out and make disciples. Right, making that disciple is a really, really hard thing to do, and it's a local thing. Yeah, it's you got to have FaceTime, and you got to you got to speak to them from where they are, the struggles that they have. You know, Um, and again, I really think that the attitude of modesty that Pi has in Life of Pi, though I don't agree with his conclusions, and I don't agree that that you know that all religions are are equally have equal access to the truth. I don't believe that. And and honestly, even from reading the book, it's not even all that clear that even Jan Martel thinks that. Mm-hmm. He 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 wants there to be this possibility that these two that these three religions can, you know, quote unquote coexist in one person. Yeah, of course, don't we all? Do, yeah. Don't we all want to believe what we want to believe and we're all going to get there in the end. Right, but in the but I don't I don't think that uh I don't think that it's actually possible for that to be the case. I mean, even my my, my little sister, you know, she was talking about it. She was like, yeah, but they say different things about God. Right. So how could they both be true? They right. say things that oppose one another. Right. And again, a pluralist is more along the lines of, yeah, but they don't all have access to the whole truth. Mm-hmm. They have pieces of it. And so you pick pieces what, you know, pick whatever pieces are, you know, work. But then you start sliding into relativism because it's like, well, right. who's the judge? Yeah. Yeah. Then it, then it proceeds into this, this, this fake humility. Right. Well, who am I? Who am I? Why to impose this on you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very slippery slope. But it, but it's it, it's something that we really need to um, pursue and not and not walk away from. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very important thing. Okay. All right. I think we've we we could probably keep going. Yeah. Um, but what do we? What do we say about this movie? Yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down. I really liked it. Okay. I think if you, uh, I, I like the book better. If you were to choose whether to read the book or to read or to watch the movie, I would read the book. Okay. Uh, the movie was visually stunning. It had a lot in it that was worth thinking about. You're right that the Vishnu lying in the you know Carnivorous Island thing was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it makes sense within the framework of the movie. 
Um, the uh, the the screenwriting was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought the adaptation of the book to a movie is really difficult in in general. Oh, and this it book is been a very hard movie to sell. Extremely. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take two thirds of this movie and put it on a lifeboat. Right. Oh that's my goodness. A, that's a, that, that's that's a hard a diff- movie to pull off. And it's a if you read the book, you're like, man, these guys. I, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. That they took such a very strange book because the book, the framework of the book, and the way the book is set up, it, it, you know, with the stories within stories, the frame story, the, you know, and and just the content that's there, it is a very odd thing. It is not your typical linear narrative, and I, I, I apparently, according to Ang Lee, they they went through something like two hundred different versions of the screenplay <laughs> um, before he finally settled on one, and so they really did a very careful job of adapting it. They made some changes that I think were not as effective, but, um, but in general, I think they did a really good job of adapting the book. Um, balanced more toward relativism and pluralism. I, I don't think most people probably even would recognize the difference so much. So I'm not really so much probably that it's not so much of a problem, but yeah, I think it's worth watching. Uh, I, I would, I would recommend it to somebody. Um, if, if they, if they want to have a thoughtful conversation, you know, if they want to be part of a thoughtful conversation concerning pluralism and, and what it means to our culture, uh, relativism, what it means to our culture, and the uh, what is appealing about it, mm-hmm. about the attitude of it, about the stance of it, um, I think that all those things are important to, to, to grapple with. Okay. Uh, I agree. It's a very nuanced tome. Um, it's, it's one that, like I said, we, would be very difficult to to sell to a group of investors um we're going we're going to take this and we're going to turn this into a movie i mean that'd be a hard sell but um i think i think only did did pull it off to some degree it's a uh it's a it's an interesting story and 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 it is it is something that that needs to be dealt with it's something that needs to be discussed and um christians shouldn't just Turn conversations like this off, labeling it something. Right. Pluralism or relativism. Oh, that's this. Oh, right. that's this. So it's false, um, so I don't need to know about right, it. We don't need right. to talk so, about it. Yeah. You know, file that one away. We dealt with that. Well, actually you haven't. I mean you just you just change it for another day. You may have dealt with it for yourself. Right. The issue is how much compassion do you have for the people who are who who are stuck in it? Right. How much are you willing to hear their story and hear their experience so that you can reach and be and be all things to all men? and go there to where they are and try and lead them out of it. How willing are you to do that? Make disciples. To make disciples. Right. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Movieology. Hope you join us next time when we review a movie that we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> we don't have any idea what it is yet. Thanks again. But, Lord, <laughs> see ya. See ya.